Christianity is a belief that hinges upon whether or not the events of Scripture actually took place as they are stated to have in the text of Holy Writ. Out of all the historical claims that are made by believers in Christ, there is nothing that is more important as to the question of whether or not Jesus Christ truly rose from the grave. The Good Fight Radio Show. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a number of Christians coming this Lord's Day are going to be celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ truly rose from the grave. So to discuss this very important topic, I guess there is no more important topic, is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. What an exciting topic, Chad, right? Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes me, though he that was dead, yet shall he live. And a lot of Christians, we focus a lot on his death, and we should, because he sacrificed himself for us and uh, gave himself for our sins. But without the resurrection, we'd still be in our sins. Because the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Chad, as you know very well, it says, if Christ be not raised, he says, our preaching's in vain. He says, everything I'm doing is in vain. Your, your faith is in vain. And then he goes, honestly, your faith is useless or worthless, and you're still in your sins. So if Christ didn't raise, we're all in big trouble. But praise God, there's plenty of evidence that he rose from the dead. Amen. And one of the things I love about that, and that was one of the scriptures that I had up uh, for this episode. And the reason for that is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Joe, you brought this out not that long ago in a discussion I think uh, when you were sharing from Blessed Hope Chapel from the pulpit on one of the Sundays, you guys can always join us on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. Blessed Hope Chapel, if you want to join in on the live stream or watch it later as well, and you can go to the Blessed Hope Chapel See Me YouTube channel, and we have a lot of videos that you can check out. But but one of the things that you brought out was that you actually had a friend named Wally Pope who was sharing the gospel, and he was trying to share the gospel with, I think it was the president of uh, the, the— Oh, yeah, in, uh, there yeah. in Utah. Yeah. The, the, yeah, of the uh, yeah the Mormon prophet, president <laughs> of the Mormon Church. Yeah, and so he was trying to share with him or ask him a question actually, and the, it was a simple question, and it was, "What is the gospel?" Yeah, what is the where gospel? is it? Where is it specifically listed in the New Testament? What is it? Where is it at? Show me. Show me. And all he needed to do was go to First Corinthians chapter fifteen. And one of the beautiful things, as Joe is mentioning from First Corinthians fifteen, just a few verses later, twelve through nineteen, as Joe had already mentioned, but We are told that we are saved if we hold fast until the end, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was risen, that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And he couldn't tell Wally where that was at. And Wally Tope, of course, uh, he was martyred, actually, street witnessing. So, uh, uh, But Wally Tope was able to take 1 Corinthians 15 and say, this is right here. You're the president of the Mormon Church. You don't even know where the gospel is at in the Bible. That's because they preach a different gospel. That's right. Yeah, that's because it's another gospel. And one of the one of the beautiful things, Joe, is that the promise that we get to have and what we're going to be doing on this show is not only sharing our own heart of why the resurrection is so important to us and the evidences that God has given us. That is one of the graces of God is that he didn't just give us, well, you just got to follow it blindly, but he gave us a definition of faith there in Hebrews chapter 11 that is substance and evidence and the resurrection is. He has given us so much evidence. I mean, historically, prophetically, I mean, uh, typologically, I mean, we could just go on. 
But we actually interviewed Dr. Gary Habermas. And before we play any of those clips or, or anything, and we want to we want to show you some of the clips of us talking with Dr. Gary Habermas. And if you don't know who that is, Dr. Gary Habermas is the foremost, the foremost in terms of, and we're not talking about just apologists, but just scholars on the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether secular or Christian, he just happens to know it's true and therefore is a Christian. But Joe, I bring that up because you quoted 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians 15 er, earlier in the text is about the gospel. And it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that he didn't do this stuff. It's not, you know, Muhammad talking to what he thought was the angel Jabriel. Jabriel. Actually, he thought it was a demon. And then his wife told him it was Jabriel and, and so forth. It's not, you know, somebody looking at a salamander in a bucket or looking at a rock and having special goggles and reading Egyptian hieroglyphics or whatever it may be. But this Re- is reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics, right? <laughs> yeah, reformed, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Amen. And Mormonism and so forth. And when you look at it, when it comes to the resurrection, it's people and places. And not only Peter, not only the apostles, not only James, not only the 500 in Corinth, but it tells us actually in the book of Acts chapter one that he gave many convincing proofs. And we want to look into Amen. that with one of the foremost scholars. But one of the things that stuck out to me, and not only did we interview him there, but actually Tommy was there as well, who's one of the producers of this show, and he'll be editing this show actually. And when we we talked with him at a conference, and one of the things he brought out, uh, just talking with him personally, was what the resurrection meant to him. And he brought that out in our interview too. Yeah. We won't be playing that clip. But one of the things he said was that it reminds him that he's going to get to see his wife again one day. Mm. And so when we're reading 1 Corinthians 15, and by the way, at the end of that, towards the end of that chapter, Paul says that death is going to be swallowed up in victory. And I just can't wait for that. Amen, bro. And the promise of the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, the first fruit of the resurrection, Jesus being resurrected, points us to the fact that there will be a resurrection one day, that we know there is an afterlife. There's no reason to be sad, you see, because there is an afterlife. And we know it because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, not privately, publicly, and gave many convincing proofs of his resurrection. And so on this episode, not only are we going to talk about it, why we love this subject, why this is what you can scream from the rooftops and share the gospel, and that's what this episode is about, is sharing the gospel through the resurrection, but you can know that from the foremost scholars, and even when you hear him talk, Joe, he's going to talk about the people that actually disagree with him, don't believe in the the resurrection, but just can't get away from the evidence. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's it's really fun. And Joe... One of the first questions that we asked, actually the first question that we asked, and we'll have a link to the entire interview, but we're going to play a few clips here. One of the first questions that was asked was his testimony. But after the testimony, because he mentioned, and he talked about some of the struggles and the yeah. doubts that he went through, but one of the things that he actually mentioned was he just couldn't get around the evidences of the resurrection. Yeah. And you asked him point blank, well, give us some evidences and tell us a little bit about the minimal facts approach. And here's what he had to say. Sure. No, you know what? We, for the sake of the audience, we didn't rehearse this at all. But those two questions run into each other very, very nicely for this reason. I still remember the the evening. I was in graduate school, and I was seated in my favorite easy chair in my living room, and I was going through. I was studying the resurrection at the grad level, not evangelical school, and. I started having these doubts about a theory or two, a naturalistic theory or two. And so I sat there in the chair with a clipboard and a, and a uh, pen. And I thought, all right, my skeptical professors are not going to grant this, 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 and this. And here's my favorite book. Yep, they won't allow that. Uh, no, they won't allow this. What will they allow? 
and I made a list of data that they think were the best established data in the New Testament. And then I said to myself, can I refute this theory with only their minimal data? And I still have the set of notes. I still have the page where I said, okay, I would like to use this, but I can't. I'd like to use this, but I can't. But I'll use this, 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 and this. And I made a long string of problems for this one theory. And then I flipped it over in the back of the page, and I wrote there, for more skeptical theories yet, all I've got to do is reduce this list, and I will still have enough to refute the theory. And that was the beginning of the mm. minimal facts, which is to take the facts which critics find the best evidence for. That's a key thing. It, the facts are supported by the best evidence. And because of that, virtually everybody uh, accepts these facts. Uh, okay, what good are they? And my point is you can show the resurrection happened with those half dozen facts alone, which the critics allow. And let me just say, they're not true because the critics allow them. They're true because of the reason the critics allow them. And that is because there are multiple evidences on behalf of each one of the facts. That's why people don't contest them. Now, Joe, I, I actually really do love the minimal facts approach. And I know that there's been even Christians that disagree on it. But one of the things that, that I noticed and one of my favorite parts of scripture, actually, I was just asked this teaching the high school group uh, a couple nights ago here at the church. What's your favorite you know, story in scripture? And it was Jesus debating the Sadducee. The Sadducees. And one of the things I love is that Jesus answers them. And I don't believe Jesus, ham, you know, hamstrung himself or chained himself only to the first five books because that was what the Sadducees accepted yeah. uh, as scripture. But he did simply use that and still prove yeah. them wrong. And for me, when I see that in Matthew chapter 22, and Jesus does that, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? When I see that, I see him actually being all things to all people and saying, I'm still going to prove you wrong, even in your limited canon of Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we're supposed to give a word in season, right? Out of season. And also the Scripture speak of making a defense for your faith. And we want to meet people where they're at. And of course, we're not hamstrung to five books, but it's wisdom that Jesus, I, I love the insight you gave there, is he uses with the Sadducees those particular five books. Uh, and, and he was, people don't realize, you have to realize, that Jesus was constantly in the scripture. And he it was always, it wasn't as though, you know, he didn't study and so forth. In fact, we point out before when he deals with Satan, it's kind of a trip. When you look at the three things, he wills the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It cuts down all three of Satan's temptations. He uses scriptures in Deuteronomy that are just chapters away from each other. All three of those scriptures he used. It's just very interesting to me, interesting to me that Jesus was very much, if Jesus had to, if Jesus saw fit to study the scripture, to read the scripture, and to use the scripture, how much more should we as believers? And since we're supposed to give a defense for our faith, for the hope that we have in us, what's our hope, Chad? Our hope is the resurrection of Christ. So we should really, you know, understand the resurrection and the evidences of the resurrection. And I think when we realize how much evidence there is there, you, you'll be excited to go out and witness. Because if you're like, man, I don't have all these answers for all these different subjects that may come up, man, just become somewhat of a specialist on the evidences of the resurrection, you can always turn it to the fact that Jesus is risen because that's the heart of the gospel, right? His death, burial, and resurrection. 
Amen. And one of the things we do want to do is probably have Gary back on again because he's Absolutely. actually, since we interviewed him, he's actually has a over 400-page book on the resurrection, and almost all of it is new material yeah. for the evidences. And I think you're going to hear some really Steve good has ones a, here. A, a new evidence, you know? Yeah, a new evidence. Amen. And so you can kind of hear, even here, this is, this is I guess, old evidence now because he's got a whole nother, uh, whole nother gambit to kind of go with now. But you guys hear right here as he uh, talks about his six plus one evidences. Yeah, I, I'll give a list of six facts here. And I throw a seventh one in. So I frequently call these six plus one. The yeah. sixth are the minimal facts. But the seventh one, which I'll say in a minute, is just as well evidenced. It's just not as well recognized by critics. The first six are going to be granted by probably 90-something percent of critics. And the first six I would use are... Jesus died by crucifixion. Now, that doesn't prove the resurrection, of course, but if he's not dead, then he didn't rise. So Jesus died by crucifixion. Number two, the disciples had real experiences that they believed were appearances of the risen Jesus. A shorter way to say that is they thought they really saw Jesus. Okay, thirdly, these events, and this is the one that's got the most evidence lately. This is the one that's gotten the most attention. These experiences of the disciples were reported very, very early. Now, when I say very, very early, I don't mm. mean the Gospel of John 65 years later. I don't mean reported in Mark uh, 40 years later. I don't mean reported in First Thessalonians, probably Paul's earliest epistle, at plus 20. I mean, critics think these early creeds, these early snippets in the New Testament predate the New Testament, and they are actually, they actually are preached within days, weeks, or a very short time after the events, uh, maybe a year at the most. So they were very, very early. Four, they turned the world upside down because of these. They were willing to die for their faith. And someone says, well, how do you know they were willing to die for their faith? You can't read their minds. Well, I don't read their minds. I watch their feet. When you keep going in the same place where you've been beaten up or the same geographical reason where you were thrown out of town or stoned or something as Paul was regularly, Paul gives a list of all the things that happened, and he keeps going back to those places, guess what? He thinks his message is more important than what might happen to him. So he was very zealous for that message, and that's the that's the net last two points, five and six, two skeptics become believers when they think they met the risen Jesus. And those are James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul. So I would use the crucifixion, the disciples' belief they saw Jesus, that was proclaimed very early. It transformed their lives. You got two skeptics, Paul and James. Now, the last one I add, six plus one, the empty tomb has as many evidences as the first six but it's only accepted by about 70 or 75% of scholars writing today, uh, whereas the other facts are accepted by about 95. So I call that six plus one because I put the emphasis on where the data are, not how many scholars accept it. Yeah, I think to me, that's one of my favorite evidences is the transformation of the lives of the disciples themselves. To see, you know, on the road to Emmaus, you've got two disciples, uh, not knowing they're talking to Jesus, he kind of comes along with them and you know, brings up what's been going on lately, and uh, and they're despondent. And they said, we had hoped that the one we were following, you know, 
Jesus would be the Messiah. But then he was not because he's dead. So they're like totally let down. Uh, they have no hope, you know. The disciples, as you mentioned, I mean, they were cowering. They were hiding. They were scared. I mean, they were coming up against the teeth of the Roman Empire. I mean, you don't mess with the Roman Empire. And they just killed their Messiah. And they're freaked out. They're scared and everything else. And the fact that they had seen not only that the tomb was empty, but they'd seen the risen Christ and that their hearts and their attitudes, they, they went from being despondent and sad, Chad, to incredibly, you know, full of joy. They went from uh, being not, you know, and I would say cowardly. They committed apostasy. They all fell away even, you know, and they went from huddled uh, behind closed doors, going back to fishing and stuff even, uh, to now fearless in the face of the Sanhedrin, in the face of the Roman authorities. You just read the book of Acts, man. And that's why the world was just turned upside down. And then the transformative effect in their lives because they had seen the resurrected Christ. And there's no explanation for this because this is comprised in such a short amount of time in the first century. And then you have Josephus within the first century and Tacitus thereabout, a Jewish historian working for the Romans and then a Roman historian testifying that Jesus Christ as a real person and so forth. And then you see the transformation of society. Ooh. I mean, you have, uh, you have uh, you know, rights for women. You know, Christians had a huge influence on, yeah. on that. Uh, for children, right? Uh, for, for, for taking care of the dying, uh, the hospital movement. Where do you think all the hospitals came from? All this, the bedrock of Christian civilization or Western civilization is built largely upon the resurrection of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, because none of that would happen. Uh, the, the abolition movement against slavery, forefront, who was in the forefront of the Christians? You wouldn't have all these things that transformed barbaric societies uh, unless it was for the resurrection, resurrection of Christ, which turned people to the word of God, where they realized, wow, humans are made in the image of God. Wow, and God loves them. And we ought to treat people as though they're created in the image of God. And it transformed the way all kinds of countries and societies thought, Chad. Mind-boggling when you think about it. In fact, a lot of what the liberals have done is they've taken like the prodigal son, they've taken the heritage of, of the father and they've run with it and they're skewing it, but they're twisting it to where all of a sudden, well, now, yeah, we do have, we do matter, but we matter so much that we can kill this little baby in the womb. Well, what happened to the rights of the baby? Wait a minute, that's not Christian. So they've taken it too far. But uh, it, it's just a blow mind because everything you see around you that's good is a, is a result of God's creation and so much of a result of the fact that Christ has risen. But it's interesting when you listen to the debate on the resurrection, they want to try to punch some kind of holes in the, the, the scriptural narrative. But when you say, okay, come up with a theory that explains the transformation of the disciples' hearts and them fearlessly being flogged and, and preaching the gospel and being hung up upside down and killed and you know banished to Patmos and you know so forth, uh, well, they don't want to go there, you know? No, amen. And that's exactly right. In fact, and you don't even got to take our word for it because obviously we see this when we're sharing the gospel with people. But yeah. listen to Gary Habermas talking about when he actually debates the topic, what some people actually say. I, I published an article 20-something years ago where I argued that there was a brief uh, increase in naturalistic theories against the resurrection. 20 years later, there's been a sharp decrease in theories. And today, I'm talking now, this whole broadcast, I'm talking about knowledgeable critics, not people who live in their parents' basement who haven't gotten degrees, who think they're scholars. <laughs> they read things. They talk to their buddies. And when they say, everybody says, it's, um, you know, th them and their, you know, two buddies. Um, I'm talking about people with accredited degrees and, and scholarship 
terminal degrees, if possible, doctorate in a relevant field like classics, history, philosophy, New Testament, and so on. Okay, today they almost never pick theories because the facts, I would like to think that the minimal facts are certainly, certainly among those, but the facts that they allow, they refute their theories. So they've got to go somewhere else. So here's the most common response. I don't need a theory. Any theory is good because you believe in the supernatural. Anyone's good because Jesus didn't rise. Notice what's happening. They're not saying like they used to say so much. Not the tight, not the really major scholars. Some of the older ones are. But the young up-and-comers, they're not sitting around so much going hallucination. Um, they certainly would never say the disciples stole the body. Um, so today they just go, oh, I'll take, take any of them. They're all better than the resurrection. That's because they don't want to pick one. That's a key. I had one guy tell me in a debate, an atheist, he told me, I said, well, you're an atheist, right? I sure am. Then pick a naturalistic theory. Don't want to. Why not? Because I'll pick one and you'll give a bunch of facts and you're going to get me on the run. And I don't like that. I said, well, wait a minute. I'm a supernaturalist. I believe the resurrection happened. I said, you're an atheist. You don't believe it happened. I'll tell you what happened. He was raised from the dead. Now you tell me what happened on your view. He wouldn't do it. Now, Joe, I think there's a big reason for that. It's because, and he had mentioned actually even earlier uh, about this same guy who said, I don't want to give you my theory. I just want to attack yours, basically. Yeah. Because basically what he said was, whatever theory I come up with, you're actually going to give me facts and I can't refute them. Right, exactly. And Habermas has been in some really gnarly debates. And there's a book out that actually goes to one of his debates. And uh, it goes to uh, who, you know, who won and the vote of so many, you know, I think it was five, you know, uh, debate people and, you know, professional debaters or, and there was five people that would basically look from a philosophical standpoint and he won the majority of the votes. And one of those that voted for him winning the debate, he said, when it came to, uh, the other gentleman that he was debating, answering him, he really didn't have any plausible explanation for the res, the, the, the missing body, you know, it's kind of what he's talking about there. They have to go to just, you know, when you, when you look at the alternatives, uh, it's all ridiculous. And he probably talked about how the guards at the door and everything, or at the, at, the, uh, at the tomb and everything else, but thought that was fascinating. Yeah, and one of the things you asked him uh, about in that interview, and like I said, you're going to be able to watch the in, the entire interview yeah, if you want. It's worth it'll watching, be, especially during this season. Yeah, amen. And it'll be in the description. You guys can check that out. But you asked him specifically about the worst thing he's ever heard, the worst excuse. And, and actually, here's what he had to say. The worst thing I've ever heard? Well, <laughs> let's go back to the guy who said I won't pick a theory. I pushed and pushed and pushed. And he goes, all right, all right. The disciples stole the body. And I said, really? I said, nobody's held that theory in, in, of, the, of the strict scholars. Nobody's really actually held that for about 200 years. That doesn't prove it's wrong. But if nobody's held it for 200 years, that tells you there's probably some problems. <laughs> and, and so I, I started naming the problems. And the guy got mad at me. And he, it was funny. He was smoking a pipe. It was in a college classroom. He was smoking a pipe, and there was a sign over all the doors, no smoking. And he was smoking a pipe, and he said, 
He said, okay, Cyprus stole the body. I gave a bunch of reasons. And he looked at me and he said, I knew this was going to happen. He said, as far as I'm concerned, this debate is over. I'm not talking anymore. And he didn't. Now, Joe, one of my favorite things about this interview is that I think we get elements out of Gary that are a little different than other interviews that, that interview Gary, obviously getting factual evidence and so forth. But one of the things we brought up is for anyone who loves Good Fight Ministries, which if you're watching our videos, you probably do like Good Fight Ministries, hopefully, unless you really want to throw some egg this way. But but nonetheless, when we look at it and we see Good Fight Ministries as a whole, one of our favorite things is typology. Amen. And you ask Gary his favorite typology in the scripture for the resurrection. And now plenty of us could even go to, you know, something that it's not a typology, but a prophecy. And that's Isaiah yeah. 53, that he would see his offspring that we actually get to see in Isaiah 53, the resurrection, because first Corinthians 15, as we talked about earlier, it says that the resurrection took place according to the scriptures. Amen. So we know that this was Testament. something that is not, it's not novel. It actually is in the old Testament. It was, I believe it was just veiled. They didn't, yeah. they didn't see it. So Joe, and we're going to give the reader's digest or, you know, let's, let's, let's zoom up into the right time frame here. We're going to give the TikTok version or the YouTube short of version. Because of our lot of time that's left. Of, go quick. <laughs> our lot of time that's left. Of our favorite typologies of the resurrection in the Old Testament. So let me give mine and then I'll hand it off to you before we get to hear Gary's favorite typology. And my favorite typology comes from Hebrews chapter 11, where we see the parabole. The type, as it says in the NASB, regarding Abraham and Isaac. And a typology Isaac. is a picture in the Old Testament of events that foreshadow a futuristic event. Amen. And exactly what we are told. We're given a specific example. So we know this isn't something that Joe has come up with or I have come up with or somebody else came up with. But actually, the writers in the New Testament said that. That's right. And in Hebrews chapter 11, when it talks about Abraham and Isaac, it says that Abraham believed the resurrection. It says he believed the resurrection. Why? Because he knew God is not a liar and he's truthful. And God had already told Abraham that, guess what? Through Isaac, I will make, give you the seeds of the That's nation. Right. All of the world, like the sands of the seashore, all the promises that were given to Abraham. And when we look at it, he was a picture because Abraham thought, even if my son dies, He's able to come back to life because right. God has already promised in his word. It isn't what Soren Kierkegaard came up with. And that was the idea that even if God's a monster, I'm still going to worship him. It was, no, I know God is true. I know God is real. And I know he's already fulfilled every time. Even when Sarah was laughing, he, no matter what, he has always done exactly what Amen. he said he was going to do. And even if my son died, God is able to bring him back from the dead. And he is a type of the resurrection. Well, Chad, that's probably, mm, depending on what, that's my favorite passage in the Old Testament often. And I'm actually working on a book on that typology, you know. <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's parabole. And he lays him down to, to die. Third day, three days and three nights process, right? Takes the wood up the back. Mount Moriah, which is where Jesus was crucified. He lays him down. And Mount Lord, it shall be seen. What happened there? You didn't have to kill him. Abraham is going to be seen. And it was 2,000 years later. It's, it's too beautiful. And he receives him back. What a picture of the resurrection. He provided the lamb that that Abraham right. promised. And, and even that lamb yeah. wasn't it because that lamb. He provided Lord, the ram there, but right. he said, I will, you will provide and a lamb. Now, Lord, it shall yeah. be seen, right, yeah. in the future. And it was when Christ came 2,000 years later. Uh, but one of my other favorite typologies there, uh, because, you know, uh, it is, and I love it. Think of when Jesus healed the 10 lepers, right? And to actually be healed of leprosy like they were, and then go to the priest and Jesus said, go to the priest and do what the, the, the law says you're supposed to do. Well, you know what they're supposed to do? They're supposed to go through a ceremony 
which they would have gone through. There was no record of that ceremony actually being enacted uh, in the Old Testament, uh, but now it was being reenacted, be, or being enacted because Jesus healed these 10 lepers. You know what they would have to do? A, a lot of things, but I only have a minute, you know, is I'll just say this. They had to capture a bird, a, a bird of the sky, right? And they had to put it in a clay pot. Well, Jesus is the word, right, from the heavens, and he took flesh. He was made into clay, right, as the God-man, amen? And they have to take another bird, a living bird as well, two living birds, and they have to kill the living bird, okay? And uh, that's in the pot. That's a picture of Christ. And that blood, they're supposed to take this other dove and touch it on the blood of the one that's been killed. Because the first one represents God becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And dying for our sins. And then they let the living bird that they have not killed that identifies with the bird that's been killed. That's why they touch the blood. And, and, and then they let that living bird go and he flies away. And that's a picture of the resurrection. God became a man, took upon himself flesh. Paul says we're like clay pots, right? Uh, he, he died for our sins. He rose. They needed two birds to pull it off, right? One to simulate or, or mimic what Jesus would do on the cross. And this was given, by the way, 1,500 years before Christ. Now Christ heals a leper. He says, go to the priest and have them do what they need to do. And by the way, leprosy is a picture of what we all have sin-wise because you're alienated, alienates you from everybody. You got to be separate from everybody. It, it, you lose all your feelings. That's what sin does to you. And the leper was healed. Well, we're healed through Christ and we're healed ultimately through his death, burial, and resurrection. And within that ceremony, he was showing that it's the gospel that, and what's amazing is that would have, they would have done that ceremony and just a little bit later, Jesus would be crucified and he would rise from the dead. And guess what? Us spiritual lepers could be healed through him in his gospel. Amen. And guys, we're going to leave you with Gary's words on his favorite typology. But guys, use these evidences and many more to make sure you're sharing the gospel, especially during this time, and also telling people, guess what? We have a very good, a very real reason to believe Amen. in the resurrection. He conquered the evil one. Amen. God Love you guys. Me. Press on in Jesus. Using Jonah as an example uh, I could get, there's several reasons why it's evidential, but like you said, let, let's just talk devotional. Um, I think the fact that Jesus used that importantly is that he not only rose from the dead, he predicted it ahead of time. Now, scientifically, I had a buddy of mine, a PhD in chemistry, tell me that the sciences are ordered by predictability. If you could not just get something, but to get something you predicted ahead of time, let's say from mixing two chemicals, then that's an evidence that you're in the right track, that you get predictability and outcome. Well, Jesus predicted the resurrection, and then he did it. See, what that proves is he was a player. It proves that he was a player in the play. If he, if he predicts it, that means he knew what he was doing. He went there willingly, as he says he did. He went there willingly. But to know it ahead of time means he's just not some willy-nilly guy who dies and is raised, and God says, let's make him king of the universe. He's a person who knew God's plan. His father's plan was to, the you know, the world had fallen. We're going to redeem the world. It's going to be eternal life. We're going to put him on the yellow brick road, so to speak. We're going to make him we want them to go through their lives on the way toward the Emerald City, sort of like um, the book of Revelation or Pilgrim's Progress, you know, where we're taking a trip to the Emerald City. Jesus knew about that trip. He knew there was going to be a trip. 
because he predicted the resurrection ahead of time, then he did it. And then all of us are told to follow him, take up your cross and follow him. So I think to me, it fits together perfectly in that worldview. And it shows you the way you started the program. It, it shows you that the resurrection is not an event unto itself. It's an event that gives us the entire Christian worldview. What you get out of the resurrection is that trip on the yellow brick road, as I like to say, toward the Emerald City. Well, what's the yellow brick road? Whenever the gospel is defined, the gospel data, New Testament, it's the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Deity, death, and resurrection. That's God's side. The human side is, do you want to say I do to Jesus? Do you want, I, why do I use I do language? Well, the Greek words, pistuo, pistis, the noun, the Greek words are very, very strong. It's not like I believe George Washington, the first president of the United States, can right. I go to heaven? Believe means commit. My Greek teacher said John 3.16 could be translated at the end. Whoever commits himself to him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's no coincidence in scripture, Old and New Testament, that God the Father is the groom. I'm sorry. Yes, he's the groom. And the church, the children of Israel, and the church uh, are the bride. And so there really is a to-do, there is really is a, a I-do factor here. And I think we see that all in the sign of Jonah. Jesus was on the road. He knew we were on the road. He knew there's going to be a battle. We're going there. We're marching toward the Emerald City. Here it is. I'm going to do this. He did it. He showed it was true. And then he says, you want to take up your cross and follow me? You want to say I do to me? So that picture to me, is the most beautiful, uh, it's just a wonderful picture of eternal life and, and going toward that city. You've been listening to The Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel and host Chad Davidson discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, visit us online at goodfight.org. Join our growing social media family and consider partnering with us at patreon.com slash goodfight.